Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Amen. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Uh, <laughs> I, I did something this week that I've never done before, and that was ask Dad if I could have Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> usually he lets me know when I'm preaching. Uh, but last week we started something uh, that we called the goal or the importance of a goal. And, and even though I'm thankful for all the, the feedback and the testimonies I've heard uh, of, of how it's been for you, I felt like it was lacking and it was missing something and it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And uh, this week in studies, I found out why and God began to give me the second half uh, to this this sermon, so I, I just couldn't pass it up. I had to, uh, I had to get up here. I told Dad, I said I normally would never ask, but I need this to wrap this thing up, make it final, uh, make it completely understandable. Uh, I apologize if I do any coughing or sniffling or anything like that. It's been a long night, uh, so uh, that's why I'm using this mic this morning in case I have to ditch it. Uh, but I, I'm excited to move on forward into this because I feel like this has been maybe one of the most challenging words I've studied out for myself, uh, taking last week and this week together. Uh, it's just so challenged me throughout the week and, and convicted me. And I want to start with some scriptures that we read last week, uh, and then we'll get further into this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, we're just going to read the first three verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for whom the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Uh, Last week we ended, uh, before I get on too far, I do want to let you know, Pastor told me as I was coming up on stage, next week we're going to start our Sunday morning service at 1030. Right now we start at 1045, next week it will be at 1030, all right? So just a heads up, coffee shop will be open a little earlier and closing a little earlier, and we will be starting a little earlier. So 1030 next week, be here. Last week we left you, I, I, I kind of left it off with a quote from Francis Chan. And this week, I want to start with this quote. Uh, did I give you that, Nisha? My greatest fear is not to fail, but to succeed at things that don't matter. Right? That was my response. Uh, and this quote is kind of what sent us into a lot of, of, of what I'm going to talk about today and what we're going to get into. And it's going to, I, I hope, challenge you, push you forward, uh, help you in setting that goal and reaching for that mark. Uh, we spent last week talking about being goal-oriented people, that a goal is important and it's necessary. We talked about the need to lay down and remove things that hinder us from reaching that goal. We even discussed the role that your church family plays in helping you reach the goal. We discussed having daily goals, personal goals, and even community goals, etc. But I don't know that we really clarified the goal. Now, I understand that in every person's goal, will be different. We are different and unique and have been called to different walks of life. But one thing is for certain, that goal, that purpose will only be valued according to its eternal impact. I'm going to sit down on this for just a minute. 
Let me read this last part again. Our goals, we are different and unique. We have been called to different walks of life. But one thing is certain. The goal, the purpose, will only be valued according to its eternal impact. Now, I want to start with some, what has been some very sobering scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, judgment day, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. I'll tell you what Paul's telling them here. Even if you make it into heaven, that doesn't mean you'll be rewarded. He said, all that they've done, he will suffer loss, even though you be saved. So just because we're doing good things don't mean we have to be rewarded for them. The only things that are going to be rewarded are things with eternal value. So when Paul said run to win in Corinthians 9:24 that we talked about last week, he wasn't saying that winning was getting into heaven. Jesus already secured heaven for you. Salvation by faith got heaven for you. Winning is that you get to heaven and you don't lose all the work that you did here on earth. That's the goal. Something that becomes eternal. Because he said in these scriptures, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Rewards only go to things that endure judgment day. Rewards are only given to the things that have eternal implications. Just because they're good things don't mean they're worthy of rewards. It can be a good thing and not be a God thing. Good is the enemy of great, not the enemy of bad. Good is what allows us to settle into a comfort zone and keep doing what we're doing and never have an eternal impact because it's good. Good allows us to settle into jobs and never see a coworker saved but be okay with it because we're good. Today is going to be very sobering. The scripture said, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose everything I did here on earth as a Christian because it held no eternal value. So from now on, when we, when we quote Colossians 3 and 23 in reference to doing something well, remember that good is the enemy of great. And just because you're doing a good thing doesn't make it God's thing. Our goal is to do things that will remain after the fire has tested it all. So last week, it was the importance of a goal. You have to have a goal you're striving for. Well, what is that goal? That goal is that I would do things that would last for eternity. How sad it would be to get to the end of your life and die and have nothing that will outlive you. Will the goal that you set and the race that you're running have eternal implications that will outlast you? Or are we succeeding at a whole lot of things that are just one day going to burn up? 
Have we set lots of goals that we're accomplishing that won't make it to eternity? Now we have to be very careful because we'll start approaching these questions based on the goals of the people around us. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 that comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise. I believe this is because Paul really understood the importance of knowing your own goal and your own race, as he often called it. Paul knew the importance of figuring out what's my purpose, what's written in my book. I can't compare myself to where you are according to God's purpose, because according to God's purpose for your life looks different than according to God's purpose by my life. So don't beat yourself up if you're not where you think someone else is. You're not supposed to be where someone else is. You're supposed to be where you are. <sighs> Sorry, I'm exhausted. We have erred in believing that Paul was calling Christianity the race. I believe when he talked about the race, it was something way more personal than our belief system. Let me show you what I mean. You can give me 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. For a long time, we've just thought this meant being a good Christian. Just, this race is your Christianity, so you got to run it. But if Christianity is the race, then this scripture would mean that we have to earn it by running really good. But we all know that your Christianity is a gift. Also, this would indicate that only one of us is going to get it. And I would hope to think that all of us in here are Christians. Amen. Also, it would indicate that uh, only one of us is going to get it. We also know that not to be true because most of, our, most of us here are. And if only one of us could get it, then that would create a competition between us to receive the prize of Christianity. And competition is just us comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. There is no room, place, or, 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 or ability for competition within the body of Christ. We cannot compete in our Christian race because our races are so personal. They're so personal to, one of, to each other. They're so personal to me and to you that Paul said, if you compare yourselves, it's just not smart. For those same reasons, the prize also that Paul is alluding to here cannot be heaven. Because in this text, Paul is talking to Christians and those Christians were going to heaven. I believe more than, one, more than one of us is going to make it to heaven and we don't have to compete with each other to get there. So if the prize is not heaven and the race is not, quote unquote, your Christianity, what is the race that Paul loves to talk about? Well, let's look at the opening scripture that we started with in Hebrews 12 and 1. Paul says, therefore, we also or who I consider to be Paul. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded to be a, a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So what is Paul talking about when he says the race that is set before us? Clearly, this is something that has already been planned out. Much like any race, a race has to be planned or it can't be started. 
right? I mean, remember when you were a kid and racing was a big part of the time you spent playing outside? When you and a friend got ready to race, the first thing you would say is, okay, we're going to that tree. Otherwise, it's not a race. You're running around aimlessly. You're just running to run. Got to have a goal. How would we know who the rotten egg was if we didn't know who, where we had to get to first? Right? Last one of the truck is a rotten egg. I guess y'all are too mature for all that. I still say it to Stephen all the time. But this is what I really want to focus out of this, that it's a predestined, predetermined race for your life. So Paul wasn't talking about a generic version of Christianity when he said run the race to win. He said he was talking about your specific race that God set before you. Now, this was a moment that I had in this study of just bouncing this back and forth between brothers. And this just came out and I was just floored by this. In this, he says the race that is set before us. I want to present you that this doesn't mean what I have always thought it meant. I believe that through this study, Holy Spirit showed me that it doesn't mean the race that is in front of us. It means the race that it was set before us. In other words, the race that was set before there wasn't us. That makes sense? He doesn't mean I've just put it in front of you. He means I set it before you were ever thought of. I set your life, your design, your plan before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. I already had it set out and mapped out for your life. So what is the goal that we're reaching for? It's the race that he set for us. It's my own personal race. It's my race that has an eternal impact. I hear people in church all the time say, God had a plan for you before you were ever formed. But do we really believe that? Because if we did, we would get saved and we would spend the next however long it took finding out what's my race. We wouldn't put the implications on joining a church and, 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 and sitting on a pew and making sure I'm okay to get to heaven. We would have been like Paul and said, what's my race? What'd you call me to do? Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that after Paul got saved, he secluded himself for three years. I believe within those three years, he was asking and seeking God what was his race. What was he called to do with his time here on earth? And God showed him. God began to reveal it to him. Paul was declaring, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy 4 and 7. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I kept the faith. See, I think we've put all the emphasis on course. When I'm just crazy enough to believe that when Paul said it, he put the emphasis on my. I finished my course. I ran and did what I was supposed to do. I didn't, I didn't buy into a generic version of Christianity where I hope I get to heaven because I joined a church and I did pretty good. But instead, he said, I knew my course and I accomplished it. I have finished my course. In most translation, that actually says my race. Now, we know Paul was nearing the end of his life, but he wasn't actually dead yet. So if it meant Christianity, why would he say I'm done with my Christianity? He wasn't dead yet. He was almost but he wasn't yet. It wasn't about his Christianity. It was about his race. It was about his purpose. It was about his destiny. 
He knew that his course and all the running to win, reaching forward, giving effort wasn't to make it to heaven or to be a better Christian than the other apostles. It was to receive the prize of accomplishing his own personal race that God prepared beforehand. Paul knew that the only thing that was going to have eternal value and not be burned up at the day of judgment was the course that God had set before him. The course that God has set before your life is what's going to make it through eternity. So now how important, how important does it seem to know what's my journey? Yes, sir. What did God call me to do? Not how many things can I connect myself to that are doing good things. What, what's, what's my goal? What did God write in the book of my life? So what is this personal race that Paul is talking about? I want to try to go a little further and prove this a little better with what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He said, for we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. You weren't just created because God wanted somebody to worship him. He's got a heaven full of people, angels that worship him way better than we do. You weren't created because he was bored and trying to come up with something. He said, for we, are his work. we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Recently, one second. Recently, I was apprehended by the Spirit and taken into a study on good works. Because we know that in Matthew 5 and 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so in that, I just, in my mind, in my spirit, I have to connect that to something that's so much bigger than us. Something so supernatural that when it happens, people just give God glory. I've never been able to buy into the theology that when I smile at somebody and they smile back, then that was my good works and God is glorified. Maybe he is glorified, but not nearly on the level that he's supposed to be. So I begin to see this from a, a supernatural point of view, that there's good works to be done that are completely supernatural and they bring God glory. And that's what Jesus was talking about. But then I would notice that in the New Testament, the apostles would talk about good works and they would just connect it to doing good things for, for people. It was nothing supernatural. It was nothing magnificent. It was nothing huge. It was just being a good person to people. So in my mind, in my spirit, I started uh, trying to search this out trying to find this out. I, I bounced it off a of pastor and, and, and some of the guys that are around me and I couldn't make the connection of why Jesus seems so supernatural and why the disciples seem so not. But they were both still filed under good works. And because of this, it drove me into just, uh, just trying to mine out the treasure that was in this study. Because if you don't know and if you don't love the Bible, you won't realize that it's full of treasures that we are to mine out that we are to seek and search and find. And there's no greater feeling than diving into the word by leading of the Holy Spirit and finding what he is trying to tell you in that moment. So I knew that Jesus was declaring good God works, not just normal things. And the disciples were declaring normal things. There was, there was a disconnect that I couldn't find. And you may be thinking, what does it matter? Let one be one and one be the other. But in my mind, this is the kind of things that drive me crazy and I have to know. I have to search them out. I have to find them. So in this, God began to show me the connection of the good works. That yes, Jesus, I believe, was talking about something so huge and so magnificent. 
that the light of God shining out of your life would bring glory. But I also believe that the apostles were talking about being good people and doing good things for people. And through this, God began to show me the connection. I begin to see that good works are works that have an eternal value. That's the connection. For me, this was an aha moment that the eternal value is the deciding factor. It's how will it last past the day of judgment? So if it is a good work of doing something good for someone or it is something on the supernatural, the implication of it being good is that it will have an eternal value. So even though Jesus was talking about something so new, supernatural and the, and the apostles talking about something that we would consider less, both of them are connected by their eternal value of were they the works that God planned for you? Were they what God decided, this is what I want you to do in your life? So as Christians, have we ever stopped and thought about the goal of our life? And what exactly am I supposed to do? Maybe you're supposed to do exactly what he called you to do. Uh, I, heard a, I heard a pastor just a little while back make a statement that said, when you get to heaven, you won't be judged according to what you did on earth. You'll be judged according to what you were called to do on earth. So God's not just going to take a list of all the good things you did and decide how good you were. No, he's going to take his calling for your life and see how your life lines up with what he called you to do. So what is the goal? The goal is to know my calling, know my race, know my course. So that at the end, I, like Paul, can say, I finished my course. I kept the faith. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what I was supposed to say. I knew where I was supposed to go. But how do we know that these opportunities or good works, how do we know they'll have an eternal impact? I believe this is how we know. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, what are these good works? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are the works that God predestined you to operate in. Good works are the things that he decided, this is what I have for your life. This is what I want you to do in your life. This is what I want you to accomplish. Notice he says, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Not that we would, but that we should. There's a big difference between those two words. But the catcher here is that we all have good works that God created beforehand. Have you ever stopped and asked God, what works did you create for me? What works did you create for me that I've accomplished that when I stand before you, they won't be burned up? They won't be wiped away? Now, I, I know this is sobering. I feel like no matter how you approach it, but for me approaching it as a minister, that my job is in ministry. And for me, I begin to look at this and say, as a minister, how much have I done because I'm a minister and how much have I done because it's what he prepared beforehand for me to do and it's what will make it into eternity. It's what will move on. So God prepared good works for you to do 
the ones that he prepared beforehand for you are the ones that have eternal value. So now the quote that we started this with, my greatest fear is not to fail, but to succeed at things that do not matter. Things that will not last through judgment. My fear is not to fall during my journey. It's not to make the wrong decision. It's not to, to, to come up short of what I was after. The fear is that I would be really good at something. And then when it's all said and done, I would have nothing to show for it. So in reality, no matter how many good things we do, if they weren't the good things, the God things that God prepared for us beforehand, then one day they'll burn up and they'll have no eternal value. So I want to pull a scripture that was a main scripture we used last week. And from this point of view in this revelation, I want to look at the scripture of Philippians 3 and 14. Paul said, I press towards the mark or the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Last week, we used this scripture to express the importance of a goal or a mark or something that you can put effort towards. According to Paul, you do this to receive a prize or in reference to the scriptures we read in Corinthians earlier, you get a reward. Where does the prize or the reward come from? Well, according to the scripture, it comes from the high calling. The reward is found when I understand the high calling that has been placed on my life. And I begin to walk out my calling. The high calling. I I know we just read it in scriptures and and, and we made it very obvious, but I want to keep reminding you that Paul told them in Corinthians that you can make it to heaven and never walk in your calling. But when you get there, you will only be rewarded according to your calling. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God and him say, well, you made it in. (laughs) Because with the reward comes these words. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put something out here. If you hate me for it, you can send Pastor an email and let him know. I'll give you all his email if you want and his phone number. Uh, there's absolutely nothing that my son Stephen could do that would make me love him less. And there's absolutely nothing he could do that would make me love him more. But there are things that he does that determines how pleased I am with him. See, we have to be very careful because we get in this mindset that no matter what I do, God is pleased with me. But this is not scriptural. It's, it feels good. It feels a lot better that way. But according to scripture, how pleased he is, is in direct proportion to the calling that I fulfill. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. But if you would like to know how pleased he is, begin to ask him if you're fulfilling your calling. Have you accomplished any of the good works that he called you to accomplish? 
Have you even one time asked God, what is the high calling for your life? And to think this is only in ministry would be to sell yourself short. Because some of you are called to be where you're at right now. Some of you are called by God to be placed in the job that you're placed in right now. But where you're at and where you've been called, have you asked him, what is the goal for me being here? Do we think that somehow we made some really good decisions that put us in the place or really bad decisions that put us in the place that we may be in right now? Or do we actually believe in eternal impact and that God is a sovereign God and he knew what he was doing when he orchestrated everything to work out so that you would end up where you are because he needed to have an eternal impact in that place. So Paul said it's a high calling. High calling, to me, that sounds like something that was already prepared beforehand. Something he already had in mind for you to do. These good works that we're talking about that have an eternal value, those are your calling. According to the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans, it says that we are predestined. Predestined literally means intended or chosen for a particular purpose. God chose you. He intended you, he formed you, he made you for a particular purpose. Now ask yourself, are you fulfilling that purpose? Because that particular purpose has eternal value. It will have an eternal impact. It will endure the fire of testing on the day of judgment. And only the works that endure that day are going to be rewarded. That's winning the race and receiving the prize. How do you run the race and reach towards the goal? By knowing and running your race and running it to win. That means putting all your effort and all your desire and everything you are into accomplishing what he prepared for you to accomplish beforehand. In studying this, God began to reveal to me a scripture that I have used wrongfully all my Christian life. One that I believe we have taken and given a carnal implication to when in reality it is so spiritual. We have all heard and probably quoted the scripture in relation to doing something the best we can and that's Colossians 3 and 23. Most of us could probably quote this scripture. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. How many times have we used this scripture to motivate a Christian to do good at what they are doing? First of all, I believe if you're a Christian, you should be the best worker on your job. But not for the reasons that you may be thinking. Not because it brings God some kind of glory that, 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 that we're supposed to be giving him out of our hard work, even though I believe in a way it does. But you should be the best worker on your job because that gives you influence. And as a Christian, you need to have influence wherever God has placed you. Why do you need influence? Because people don't listen to lazy people. The fact that we've had to take a scripture and motivate Christians to be good co-workers is an indictment against the church. When I was being raised, my dad never once told me, you better work hard because God needs you to make him look good. No, he taught me to work hard because I'm a man. 
I'm not even going to go there. But God began to show me that the way we work in our jobs or, or wherever you may find yourself in life right now at this moment is super important because of the influence it will give you at that place. God will fulfill your promise, but he is not obligated to fulfill your potential. Your potential will come in the amount of influence that you gain where you're at. Most of us are not effective in our everyday jobs because we haven't worked in a way that gave us influence. So when we get ready to declare the gospel, no one wants to listen because they connect my Christianity to my work ethic. And my work ethic is pathetic, so my Christianity looks pathetic. My God. Mm. But that's not even the point I want to make here. That was all free. Here's the point I want to make. Most of us can quote Colossians 3 and 23, but how many of us know what verse 24 says? The reason we don't know 24 is because verse 20, it takes verse 23 out of a carnal context and puts it into a spiritual eternal context. Verse 24, we just seen he said, work hard. Work like you're doing it for God and not for man. Why? Because you know that of the Lord, you're going to receive a reward of your inheritance. This has nothing to do with your physical labor on your job. He's talking about the reward that we just read about in Corinthians because we know the reward only goes to the things that are eternal. So he said, work hard where you're at like you're doing it for God so that it will have an eternal impact. It's not about you doing your jobs really well. You should be doing that anyway. It's about doing it in a way that it will have an eternal value. So the goal is that we do as the Lord has called us to do it. Do it so that it will have eternal impact. Have we used Colossians 3.23 to be really good at, to be really good at doing our jobs all while being terrible ambassadors on our jobs. We've taken the Bible and used it to motivate us to be good workers. When in reality, he was motivating me to have an internal, uh, eternal impact wherever I'm working. We've totally taken the eternal aspect out of the scripture and just made it about if you can work really hard and work your way up and make God look good while you're doing it. In all reality, how good you are at your job and the promotions you get aren't going to matter on the day of testing. The only thing that will matter is, did you use that promotion to promote his kingdom? Like I said, I'm an advocate of being a hard worker. Work your way up. Shoot for the best. Be the best. But in every aspect of life, if this is what the scripture is talking about, if you're a stay-at-home parent, are you parenting in a way that will have an eternal value? Are you parenting in a way that when you get to judgment day, all of your parenting doesn't get burned up? Are we parenting our kids to where they will come up in a culture and in an understanding that will last for eternity? Don't do it for man, he said. Do it for God. 
Do it for God because there's a reward coming with it that's going to be eternal. And all the rewards that man's going to give you for working really hard on that job are going to be washed away. They're not going to mean anything. Last scripture. This is one that I, I, I fought to add. I kept bouncing it off dad just to try to feel him out and get his opinion because this one pushed me. This one stretched me in the way I thought, in the way I've always heard things. And she already beat me to it. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. So I've always used this scripture and heard it used in the obvious context that if you love God, he will work everything out for your good. Now stay with me for a second because I know this is going to challenge you. But I believe that we have proved through scripture that God is only going to reward based on the things that have eternal value. So that would be based on your calling. Would you agree? Well, why would this scripture in Romans chapter 8 be any different? Notice Paul doesn't just say those who love God and he doesn't say those who love God and those who are called. He said those who love God, comma. In other words, if you love God, you will live according to his purpose. So what he does here is he connects God working all things together for your good. He connects it to being called according to his purpose. Can I propose to you that God working all things together for your good is in response to you walking according to his calling? See, I, I feel like a lot of times we don't realize it, but that right after that scripture, which is a super popular scripture and we hear it so much, I've quoted it just countless times. He goes right into verses 29 and 30. And in 29 and 30, he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the son that, that he might be the first born among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, he also called and who he called them, he also justified who he justified those he also glorified. So Paul is connecting Romans 28 and 28 of God working all things together for your good and he's connecting it directly to your calling and your purpose. What he predestined and called you to do is directly linked to him working everything together for your good. I've... I feel bad in a way because in so many ways, I've just thrown it out there that if you get saved and you're going to heaven, then God is working everything together for your good. But if we take these scriptures in the entirety of their context, that's not what he's saying. He's really saying that those who are walking according to what I predestined them to do, according to the, the race that I set before them, those, I work everything together for their good. We have taken this scripture just like the one we read in Colossians and made it so carnal that we have applied it to job promotions and monetary earthly possessions. And we think that because we are getting things in this life that God must be working all these things together for your good. I heard a preacher just the other day say, how can I call a blessing if it's the same thing a drug dealer can get? We think that because all these things are coming into order here right now in this moment, that he's working things together for my good. 
But there's a lyric from a song that we like to listen to called Blessings, where he says, I know the difference between blessings and worldly possessions. Can God bless us with stuff or good jobs? Yes. But if that is our measuring stick for him working things out for our good, then by that measuring stick, he didn't work anything out for the disciples. According to that measuring stick, those faith-filled Christians overseas that have nothing, apparently God is not working anything out for their good. So for us to take what we have acquired and the things that will burn up on the day of judgment and use those to say that God has blessed me and God has worked everything out for my good would be a, a demise or belittling of the scripture. Not only that, it would be a belittling of my God. You want to know how God worked it out for them? They got arrested for preaching the gospel and God worked it out so that they could lead all the jailers to Jesus. He worked it out so that they could get exiled to an island so that then they could write most uh, part of the New Testament. And because of it, countless people were saved and brought to Jesus. These things may not look like blessings to us in the natural and our carnal minds that are focused on this life and this life only, but imagine the reward that is waiting those guys. So in reality, he's working all things together for the good of those who are living according to the purpose that he has called them to live. I had to spend some time in this study repenting of how carnal I had made a lot of things. That my goals had a whole lot to do with stuff here. That even in my ministry, I begin to have to stop and say, God, have I connected to a lot of things in ministry because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do and it looks really good? Or have I been driven in my ministry by that which has an eternal impact? We had a men's meeting the other night and uh, we just, just guys sharing their hearts, just being real. And in it, I shared with the guys of how God has brought me to a place of so beginning to look at the eternal impact of the things that we're involved in that I had to admit that for a moment there, I went through a phase with our youth ministry because I was running 50 or 60 kids from the projects and it looked good for me. And when I got together with other youth pastors, it sounded good. Sounded really good. Oh, yeah, we run 50 or 60, you know, and, and, you know, they're off on the projects, at-risk kids, a lot of them, you know, we're just doing. And all that on the outside, it looked like it was really good, and it sounded good, and it felt good in the moment. But in studying for this, I found myself in here in prayer, and God began to ask, how many of them have been eternally impacted on Wednesday nights? Because based on where I'm at right now, I would make it to heaven. I, I don't have any fear that I'm not going to make it there, that all of a sudden I'm going to go to hell and when the rapture takes place, I won't be ready. None of that, that doesn't bother me. I know where I'm at. I know that I am supposed to be working with students. I know that. I know that's a part of my race. But have I lost sight of the eternal value in it? Some of you are on the jobs your own, not by happenstance, but because God puts you there. And it's your job to see the eternal impact you're supposed to have. 
If God, if God calls you out of that job and moves you to somewhere else or does something else with you and you look back on that job, will there be anything eternal? Anything. Did you do anything that's going to last? Honey, you can bring down the house lights. So this is where I've been for the last week or so of beginning to examine my life according to his calling. Not just according to what's good, because we do a lot of good things. But I don't want to just do good things. I want to do what he called me to do. I want to run my race. I want to finish my course. So what is this goal? We started last week with the importance of a goal. And today, trying to determine what is that goal. That goal is to do your good works. What are the ones that he prepared beforehand for you to do? And how many times have we let just being a good person or just doing good things rob us of doing the things he called us to do? I, uh, come on. I heard a story the other day that uh, there was a guy that had somebody working for him. This guy was about 50 years old. Uh, he said, every time I walked by his desk, it would be nothing but pictures of Africa. Just everywhere, pictures of Africa. He said, every time I talked to him, he'd just talk about Africa. He said, this guy was handling the finances, I think is what he said, in, in, our, in our, what we were doing. You know what I mean? This, this is what he did, you know? But every time, it was always Africa this and Africa that and pictures of Africa. He said, so I went home and talked to my wife, and we showed up the next day and said, here's a one-way ticket to Africa if you'll take it. And the guy was like, wait, what do you mean? He said, all you talk about is Africa. Your desk is covered in Africa. So here's a one-way ticket if you'll take it and go. This man was 50 years old. He went home, told his wife they sold every possession they owned and moved to Africa. He said he called him. I think it was a couple years later just to check up. How's it going? It's going phenomenal. I've had malaria 16 times. <laughs> he said, but when you're doing what you're called to do, it doesn't matter. I finally found what he predestined me to do. And when you're predestined and you find yourself in that calling, nothing will change your mind. Nothing, nothing can turn you around. We have Christians giving up on Christianity because they don't know their calling. They haven't found their purpose. They're just sitting on pews and they're trying to make it to heaven. There's, can, can I just say there's more to this than making it to heaven? Paul said you're going to make it to heaven, but the reward, the reward is in, it's in the calling. How many of us are going through the daily routine of life and haven't stepped the first time in our calling? You're not happy where you're at. You're not content with where you're at. It's just not for you and you just know it and something's pulling you. When's the last time you stopped and said, God, did you call me somewhere else? Did you call me to do something else than what I'm doing right now? The flip side to that, how many of you are feeling really unhappy where you're at right now, but it's not because you're in the wrong place. It's because you're not fulfilling your calling in that place. 
I, I spoke a little last week about uh, the job I had working in the woods and how knowing I was fixing to be coming out of that, that career, that, that type of job, God began to push me to witness to every man on that job. And I wasn't given the go-ahead to come and do anything else until I talked to every one of them. But when I left, I knew that I had done more than just been a good coworker. I knew I'd done more than just made them proud of my dad because he, he raised a good worker. But instead, I left there with something that was bigger than me. Something that I believe will go on past eternity or through eternity or however you say that. How do you even judge eternity? So this morning, uh, I don't know what to do, to be honest. But I do know this. There's, there's somebody in this room who has been struggling, fighting almost, with stepping into your calling. With really moving into what you know God has called you to do. And God is drawing you this morning. God is drawing you. He wants to show you. He wants to reveal it to you. He wants to say, this is exactly what I have planned for your life. This is exactly the direction that I want you to go. So first, if that is you this morning and you're struggling with that, we would love to pray with you, talk with you, whatever you need this morning. Some of us ministers, we're here for you. We want, you to, we want to see you fulfill your calling just as bad as God wants to see it. We want you to walk in your purpose. So we'll take a few minutes if you want to pray, if you want to go talk to somebody. Whatever you need to do right now, do it. Because if we continue like we are, one day it's all going to go. It's all going to be burned up. And we're not going to be rewarded for it. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word that challenges us, it convicts us, it comforts us, it, it directs us. And God, I pray for those that are here today that are, that are searching and looking for that calling, that, that purpose, that goal, God. They can, they can feel you drawing. God, maybe they're like Paul is saying, I, I'm just trying to apprehend that which has got a hold to me and I'm not even sure what it is yet. But I feel like you've brought us to that place this morning. So over the next few minutes, as people begin to pray and begin to share and begin to talk, God, I just ask that you would just cover them with your spirit and give them direction. Give them clarity, God. Give us clarity this morning that we would see this is the good works you prepared for us. This is the high calling that is for our life. This is what will happen when we begin to walk in the calling that you've given to our lives. God, we thank you that you've chosen frail, fickle, unfaithful people like us. People that have a list a mile long of why we shouldn't be used, but you've chosen us and you've predestined us before the foundations of the world to walk in the calling and the purpose that you have placed on our lives. So God, now we ask, show us. God, please show us that destiny, that purpose, that goal that we are to set into our lives. And when we begin to operate in the good works that you have planned for our lives, our light will so shine before this community that they will give God glory and be drawn in to the goodness of God by Christians, by sons and daughters living according to their purpose. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.